Closer Look. Welcome to Closer Look. I'm Maria Morgan. We've all heard that 50% of marriages end in divorce. But what if 50% isn't true? My guest on Closer Look went to Harvard. She worked on Wall Street. She now digs into facts, studies, graphs, charts. She's a researcher and a best-selling author. Shanti Feldhahn, welcome to Closer Look. It's great to be with you. You found this curious thread and pulled it bit by bit. That's the way <laughs> I picture it. What have you found that you put into your book, The Good News About Marriage? Yeah, I was writing an article on uh, divorce and I thought, you know, I need to quote it the number properly because, you know, everyone knows it's about 50, but maybe the actual number is, you know, 48.7%. Like I wanted to quote it accurately. And when I started looking at the Census Bureau tables and the CDC tables and the Bureau of Vital statistics, that's when I was like, wait a minute, this does not match the narrative at all. And that was your aha moment when you went searching for just some basic statistics, a basic backup for that 50% that's been quoted all these years. And Well, the big picture is that we've all had this conventional wisdom for years um, that half of all marriages end in divorce. And I don't know about you, but that's a really discouraging statistic. To go into a marriage, for example, thinking we've got to flip the coin chance. And one of the things, by the way, that we have seen in other research over the years is that honestly, what ends up killing a marriage is whether it has a sense of futility and what sort of saves a marriage is whether it has a sense of hope. Like, I mean, think about it. Like, if you think this is hard, but we're going to get through this, you usually do. And it's when you start thinking, oh, this is never going to change and the ship is going to sink anyway. At some point you go, well, better to use the energy to escape the wreck intact, right? And so when I stumbled, because it really was stumbled across some data that did not match the narrative at all, <laughs> I kind of went, if this is true, this is really important So that because people are really discouraged at times. And so that's why I started pulling on the thread. So eight years of study, out of that, you make some pretty bold statements. Um, you've already mentioned the current divorce rate is not 50%. In fact, that it's never even been close to 50%. Ah, that, that starts to make us think about all the things we've heard. No, I know. Here's, here's basically the starting point. What we ended up finding as we dug into this is, A, the reason it took eight years is that it is insanely complicated and there's no one right number because it kind of depends. Like, is the rate of divorce the percentage of people who will get divorced in the future? Is it the people who already are? Is it the people of a certain age bracket? It's just, it's really crazy. Is it men versus women? Because believe it or not, they have different divorce rates. Like, it's it's really crazy. Sounds like what you're saying is, is something that I ran across, not only in your book, but in just reading about statistics in general. It was projected to be 50%. It never actually reached 50%. And no one ever went back to actually say it did or it didn't. Is that right? Correct. So the, the short version for everybody who's wondering, how did this get started? Is that at one time, a projection of 50% divorce rate in the future was actually a reasonable projection. Um, back in the day, you know, when 1972, when no-fault divorce first happened, and there was this explosion, as you can imagine, because you didn't have to prove to a judge that you should be able to get divorced. You could just get divorced because you wanted to. And there was this massive explosion in divorce. And the demographers of the day got really concerned and said, oh, my goodness, if this trend keeps up, 
we're going to hit a 50% divorce rate someday. But in 1980, so not very long after that, people kind of, by then people had recognized like, wait a minute, this is a rush and maybe we shouldn't be so hasty. And from 1980 on, the divorce rate has come down. So we never got close to hitting the 50% projection. And it's come down ever since. A lot of people hear, oh, you know, the divorce rate is rising. Well, that's actually very much not true. It has come down, depending on the numbers you look at, somewhere in the third to 40, you know, 33 to 40%, you know, decline since then. And and that is what has not been corrected in the public opinion. I'm Maria Morgan. You're listening to Closer Look. Shanti Feldhahn is a best-selling author. We've been talking about her book, The Good News About Marriage, which is the culmination of eight years of deep research. So where, where did you land then? There's a lot of different ways of looking at it, as you can imagine. But one of the ones that's the most kind of obvious, that's easy to grasp, is that as of 10 years ago, when we were doing this, and the number has improved since then, and we don't know exactly how much, but as of 10 years ago, 71% of people are still married to their first spouse. 29% are not still married to their first spouse. So you might think, okay, so there's a 29% divorce rate, but actually it's even better than that because that included everybody who's we're, we're married for 50 years and their spouse died. Oh. That's just marriages that have ended. That's death and divorce all worked into that one 29% number. And no one exactly knows ex- what exactly is the di- sort of divorce rate versus death. You can kind of do a little bit of estimating by the death rate. The wi- rate of widowhood is about 14%. There's some other factors you can add in. And you can kind of squint sideways and say, maybe. For first marriages, there's a 25% divorce rate, maybe. And it's gotten better. That was 10 years ago. It's gotten better since then. Now, here's the thing. I just want everybody to think about this for a second. If this is true, and if it's true that it's actually way better than the conventional wisdom says, then what that means is when you're having trouble or when you have a friend who's having trouble in their marriage... You can come alongside them, put your arm around them and say, look, you're going to make it. Most people do. The latest numbers that were just released, you know, that 71% of people are still married to their first spouse. As of, I think, a year and a half ago, um, that number had improved to 77% of people are still married to their first spouse. In general, that means probably we've dropped from maybe a 25% estimate to maybe an 18 estimate. I mean, that's a completely different sense for this amazing institution that God created. More couples are cohabitating, right? I mean, isn't that why the divorce rate is going down? Why you found that better news? People aren't getting married? And that is a small piece of it. There have actually been quite a few studies that when you actually look them up, they mathematically, they try to model it and figure out how much of the decline in the divorce rate is due to cohabitation. Turns out the main reason why the divorce rate is declining is that people are getting married at slightly older ages. And when you get married very young, those people have a higher divorce rate risk. When you get married after the age of 25, your divorce rate risk drops pretty dramatically. And if you get married, you know, now we're at 28, 
your age 28 for women and 30 for men. And those ages have a much lower divorce rate risk. And so the mathematicians have actually shown that that's the reason why the majority of the drop has happened. How did you make sure when you were doing your research, because you are an advocate of marriage, you and your husband have written books together and spoken around the world. I mean, marriage is is so important to you personally and professionally. How can someone trust what you found? Oh, believe me, I I spent eight years going, can this possibly be true because of going against the conventional wisdom? So here's what I ended up doing, just in case that helps people. It wasn't just me looking at it. I interviewed and spoke to basically all the major demographers that talk about divorce, including people who candidly are not themselves advocates for marriage. They have a different viewpoint or whatever. And what I ended up doing as I was finding what I thought I was finding, I would write up a chapter or write up a section and I would call them or go meet with them or spend time on Zoom or whatever. and basically say, pick this apart. Tell me where I'm wrong. I want to make sure that I'm understanding this correctly because it's really complicated. And so what you'll end up seeing in the book is stuff that has been reviewed pretty thoroughly by 12, 15 major experts on this. And some of them are considered hostile witnesses is what I hear you saying. Basically. And, and candidly, there are a couple of them who Again, on the the divorce rate itself, and there's other things we talk about in the book that everybody agreed with, but on the what is the divorce rate itself, there were several of them who were really concerned about stating a, a number as low as maybe 25%. But when I asked them the reasons, it wasn't because there was a data set that disproved it. <laughs> it was because it had become so ingrained in the research community that it seemed like this massive shift to say anything else. I'm like, I don't care. I'm not in the university space. I'm just going with the data. And interestingly, the book coming out ended up itself breaking loose a few things. And one of the main people who was concerned has is now when he talks about it and writes about it, he will actually say, well, you know, it it may not be as high as 40%. It may be as low as, you know, maybe 25%. (laughs) Like, it just makes me laugh, right? And I'm like, I don't care about the, you know, will I ever be invited to speak at a university academic conference of demographers? Like, I just want to help people with what, from what I can tell, is the best data that will give them hope for their marriage today. I'm Maria Morgan. You're listening to Closer Look. Shanti Feldhahn is a best-selling author. We've been talking about her book, The Good News About Marriage, which is the culmination of eight years of deep research. You've also found that most marriages are happy. Yeah. You know, as, as a social researcher, I go around and talk to a lot of people, right? So I'll go up to people in coffee shops and ask them questions and stuff. And one of the things that I asked for a while is, hey, random person sitting at a coffee shop waiting for their friend, what percentage of marriages do you think are happy? And I'm not asking you if your marriage is happy. I'm just saying out there somewhere in the country, what percentage of marriages? And the average person would say maybe about a third of marriages are happy. And they're stunned 
when I tell them it's actually probably closer to 80%, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but somewhere circling around that 80% number. And that's not in dispute, by the way. Um, the demographers, et cetera, everybody knows that that number is pretty solid. It depends on the survey. But if you look at surveys of individuals, it's always about 90% of people say they're happy, but that doesn't include whether their spouse is happy. That's, that is true. We have to take that into consideration. So you have to look at matched pair surveys and matched pair surveys are where you, you know what the husband and wife both said. And I've done a matched pair survey. Other people have, and the number circles somewhere in the 70s to 80, early 80s. And so you can basically say, if you put all that together, somewhere around eight in 10 marriages are happy. Now, what about remarriages? We've all heard the statistics that 65% or more, so basically two thirds of remarriages end in divorce. What did you find in your research on that front? Well, I will tell you, this is actually, when I started seeing what I was seeing, this is actually where I kind of got mad <laughs> because I think the enemy has really discouraged a lot of people and just kind of sucked the hope out of them because we've all heard those massive remarriage divorce rates. And so my senior researcher, Tally Whitehead, and I spent three years trying to find the studies underneath that number. And they all, and like, we really were, we were very thorough. Like we went through all the different citations and news reports and websites, and they all trace back to three sources that don't exist. They don't exist? They don't exist. It turns out that that, in most cases, is a pure urban legend. My favorite one, <laughs> because you can look this up today, my favorite one is a ton of books and news reports and website articles, et cetera, quote a Psychology Today article that was incredibly popular where Dr. Jennifer Baker, who is a well-known researcher at the Forest Institute in um, Missouri, I think, um, where in this Psychology Today article, it says Dr. B Jennifer Baker has found a 50% divorce rate for first marriages, 60% divorce rate for second marriages, and a 72% divorce rate for third marriages. So, of course, like all the others, we emailed Dr. Baker to say, could we see your study? Because it's all about the methodology, right? So she emailed us back all in capital letters. <laughs> and it was, the whole email was, that's not me. I never said that. I've been trying to get them to take my name off that website for years. That's stunning. And, and there's another one that was like a Census Bureau table that looked all official and it had a number attached to it and a lot of people cite it. That table exists, but I didn't see anything in the table that showed me those numbers. And so I called the Census Bureau lady who was like my best friend by this point. I'm like, Rose, I have another question for you. And when I explained it, she was like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I've seen that too. We've never said that. That's not in any of our tables. What is your message then to people who are hearing this, who are some of the things they believed for years are being challenged? What do you hope that they get out of the research that you did and that you published? Well, the most important thing is to recognize that this amazing institution of marriage that God created it, we haven't broken it. And you can work with this. This is something that God created for your thriving. And you can actually have hope to get through any challenges that you face. I'll, I'll give you an example of just one little 
you know, case study of a friend of mine who was getting ready to, she had been a single mom for years, but she was getting ready to marry this great guy that she had met. And I said, would you mind reading the chapter on remarriage, you know, on that sort of, again, the urban legend thing. And just to see, is it hitting the notes that you would want to know as someone who is getting married? Because most of the book is more for, you know, leaders and people who care about <laughs> divorce statistics and stuff. But I wanted to know for her as a just an average mom who is going to become a wife. And she emailed me back and she said, here's what this has done. This has blown my mind because I recognized I was going into this marriage expecting that it would probably fail. Like that's what the numbers tell me, that it probably wouldn't make it. And so I would be foolish if I didn't do things to protect myself. Like for example, I have kids, so I would need to have a secret bank account on the side in case he flaked out on me so I could protect myself and have an exit. And she said, I didn't realize that not only is it not likely that we'll get divorced, it's likely that we'll stay married until for the rest of our lives, because that's some of the implications of some of the numbers that I found. But also that by trying to protect myself, I'm actually building a wall. I'm creating a lack of trust and I'm actually creating the problem I'm trying to protect myself from. And so she said, I realized if I want a great marriage, I have to be all in. And I'm not going to be all in if I'm constantly going, you know, what are the chances that this is the beginning of it going downhill, you know, and it's just, it is such a deception of the evil one. And I want to tell all the young people out there who are pondering marriage and, you know, wondering if they can trust, you know, what's happening. You have to realize that we as a culture have believed this great big lie and that Honestly, you and that person that you're standing at the altar <laughs> taking those vows, that you probably will have a strong and happy marriage for the rest of your life, statistically. That is the likelihood. It doesn't mean that there won't be problems. And unfortunately, it doesn't mean that every marriage makes it because we know that's not accurate. But I just want everybody who's considering this, everyone who's newly married, to realize you can relax that this is a good thing God has created for us, and it will probably last a lifetime. You did say there is some work to do, though, to make that happen, which leads me to another of your extensive research projects that you document in your 2013 book, The Surprising Secrets of Highly Happy Marriages. You have 12 relational tools that can also increase your chances of survival. Well, let's dive into the one that I actually think is the most, when you say, what's the one that you think is the most important? One of the things that we actually found that was, we basically call it a prerequisite. And that is that you have to be willing to believe the best of your spouse's intentions towards you, even when you're legitimately hurt. And it turns out everybody gets hurt. Everybody does. Like even the best, most, one guy said, even the most incredible, godly, wonderful husband and wife can be a jerk sometimes. Like we all hurt each other and we get hurt. However, what matters the most is what you tell yourself about the other person's motivations. Because the natural human thing 
is to kind of have that ow and sort of like with me with Jeff, if he does something to hurt my feelings, my nature will naturally go, oh, he knew how that would make me feel. And he said it anyway. And I don't realize that what I'm actually thinking, the translation of that is he doesn't care about me. And pull that is a big, huge negative thing to feel about your spouse, that they don't care about you. And instead, what we found is in the vast majority of cases, it was something like 99.26 something, something percent, that that's not true. And that the vast majority of times that there's another explanation for that behavior, but that they do care about you. And so the happiest couples, it turns out what they do is they will actually kind of have the same ow, right? Like it hurts. And then they'll go, but no, no, mm -mm, I know he loves me. I know she appreciates me. So they must not have known how that would make me feel or they wouldn't have said it. And they're believing the best. And and now sadly, that is, that is not 100% of cases. There are that tiny percent. It is small, but it exists where there is a lack of goodwill, where there is abusiveness. But the vast majority of people, it will make a huge difference if you will put on the hat of no matter what is going on, believing that your spouse cares about you. Intentional kindness. Yeah. Being as considerate behind closed doors as in public. What did you find in your research about that? People kind of say, you know, it's really important to be brutally honest with your spouse, right? But you need to be able to say anything. And what we what we actually did in this study that you're referencing is we were actually studying, okay, so we see what everybody does sort of on average. What do the happiest marriages do? Like, why are they so happy? And what we found is that the happiest marriages were absolutely honest with each other, but they weren't brutal. They were kind. When they had to say something hard, they made it a point to be even kinder about it. Because we all know it's so easy in the like craziness of the day and we're all so busy and stretched. I can treat the cashier at the grocery store or a friend better than I treat my husband, who's supposed to be the most important, you know, human relationship to me. And so the intentional kindness becomes this really incredible tool for a marriage. I'm Maria Morgan. My guest is Shanti Felton. She's a researcher and best-selling author. We're taking a closer look at what she discovered about marriage and divorce. Shanti, um, what if you are willing to do these things, but your spouse isn't? Can you start putting these things into action anyway? Yeah, actually, it was really interesting. Of the 12 this was for the research with the happiest marriages, right? And of the 12 things that we found that they do differently, 11 of them you can do if it's just you. It is really, really fascinating how often one person changing and working on what they can work on really changes the dynamic of the relationship. And we all kind of know that that's true, right? We we know that that from a you know perspective of looking at the Bible, for example, we know that giving unto others as we would want them to, to do to us is often going to have this amazing return. And it works the exact same way in marriage. You also found through many research projects in your career, the difference that faith makes 
everybody in the church has heard, well, you know, the rate of divorce is the same in the church as it is in the world. And that's an incredibly discouraging thing to hear. And many pastors believe it. And when we talk to pastors behind the scenes, you know, Jeff and I will go do a marriage event and, you know, I ask a pastor how he feels about that. You know, it's discouraging to think that if the rate of divorce is the same in here after all my hard work, (laughs) all my hard work doesn't mean very much, right? Or the person in the pew thinking, well, if something, something as important as marriage, if following the Bible doesn't make any difference, what does that say about the Bible? Like, there's all this stuff that comes up with that. And it turns out... It's another thing that's based on a giant misunderstanding, giant conventional wisdom that's not true. Um, And so here's basically what is true. And by the way, you know how I mentioned that demographers will argue over what the divorce rate is and have different opinions? They do not argue over this. Every demographer knows that this is true. It's just that every pastor doesn't. And so that's why I'm trying to get the word out there. It turns out that that idea that the rate of divorce is the same in the church, that that actually came from a misunderstanding of a Barna study, George Barna study, where he was studying people who, you know, you call them on a phone and they say they're a Christian or they're Jewish or they're Muslim or they're atheist. Those people had the same divorce rates, but he specifically excluded whether they went to church from the analysis, because that wasn't what he was trying to study. He was literally just studying belief systems. And there's plenty of people for whom they'll say they're a Christian just because they live in America, right? And instead, what I did was I, I partnered with Barna and I bought that data set. You went back to the source. We went back to the source, and that was what I was trying to do on all of these, right? That's why it took eight years. (laughs) And so I partnered with them, bought the data set, and we re-ran those numbers. But with that one factor added back in of, was the person in church last week? And according to the Barna study, and now literally every other study that's ever been done, this is not an exaggeration, like any demographer will tell you the same thing. If the person is a regular church attender, the divorce rate plummets and it falls anywhere from 25 to 50 percent or more. There was a Harvard study that came out a couple of years ago that said it fell 58 percent among people who attended church regularly. And so I, that's the first thing that I want to encourage people is that following what God says and getting into a body of believers and listening to the word of God and being in community, it makes a difference. And that is something that I just want to encourage everybody to realize, whether you're a church worker or somebody who just, you know, is thinking, does it make a difference to plug into small, small group or whatever? Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. You have an opportunity to speak to a husband or a wife listening who is in a marriage where they're not sure they're going to make it. And they're encouraged by what they've heard, but still timid to embrace it. What would be your message to that person? Trust God, even if you don't know whether you can trust yourself or each other. I'm sure people have heard the triangle analogy. If you put God at the top of the triangle and the husband and the wife at the bottom of the triangle— As you get closer to God, you're going to get closer to each other. And don't believe the lie that says you probably won't make it because the reality is you probably will. And if you will do some of the things that matter, and one of the things that we found is that a lot of people 
don't know what matters. Like they're trying really hard. They care about their spouse. Both people do. And they don't realize they're trying hard in the wrong areas or hurting each other. And they would never intend to. And so if you can believe the best of each other's fumbling attempts, (laughs) and if you can actually learn a few things about one another, you know, if you can learn that under the surface, what matters to them, suddenly for most couples, not all, but for most couples, suddenly everything that had been an opportunity for conflict suddenly becomes an opportunity for connection. And you, I've had so many people who've gone through some of the different research we've done, and now they're marriage mentors at their church because their church is like, wow, if they could get through it, anybody could get through it. And so I just, I want to encourage people. It's not just possible, it's likely. And that is the good news about marriage. Yeah. Thank you, Shanti Felton, for being my guest on Closer Look. Where can the people find you if they want to know more about you? So you can find me and some about the research at shanti.com, which is my website, S-H-A-U-N-T-I.com. I would encourage you all, if you're interested in this, don't just stop. Like, don't just listen to this program and then go away and make dinner and do the next thing. Like, make a note in your calendar to yourself to really step in and learn the things that you can do because it will make a difference.